Welcome to Tangents. I'm Susan Farley, Project Manager for McLaughlin Research Corporation, and I support the Public Affairs Office at the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, Division Newport. June is Pride Month, and we're excited to bring you a special series to celebrate. Vima Manfredo is Division Newport's Special Emphasis Program Manager for LGBTQ A, and she has taken over as host of Tangents. She's assembled a wonderful lineup of guests, and there have been some great thought-provoking conversations detailing the struggles and the goals of the LGBTQ community. This episode features Staff Sergeant Troy Palantonio. He's with the Army Field Band and the Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. We have a great conversation, and Troy talks about his experience during the era of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and what it was like when that policy was repealed. Have a listen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Tangents podcast uh, for our Pride Month special series. Really appreciate you being here and taking the time. Before we, uh, yeah, before we uh, get into the really specific Pride stuff, I want to know more about you. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in the military? Yep, well, my name is Troy Palantonio and currently I am a flutist with the United States Army Field Band. And that is 11 years into an Army career so far. Um, prior to this, I grew up, music has been my entire life. I've been a flutist since I was 10 years old. And I went to you know, middle school, high school, um, within marching band and things like that. And then I ended up going to school for music education and music performance. And I kind of had like big dreams to do some you know, fun, entertaining things with a music career. I also, of course, could have been in the teaching field in the public school system. Um, but when push came to shove, somewhere along the way, after I had finished a master's degree in performance and wasn't necessarily getting, um, you know, jobs and things that I could make a living off of with music, I'd been waiting tables for about six and a half years, and then it was time to get a music career. And the military suddenly presented itself as a really, really, really good option and so I went ahead and signed up. My first assignment was in South Korea with the 2nd Infantry Division Band. And then there was a vacancy in the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps in um, Arlington, Virginia. I was lucky enough to be selected from that audition. So I went there in 2011, and then I spent seven years there. And then there was a vacancy in the Army Field Band for a flute position. And I auditioned there. was also very fortunate to join that family where I now currently serve. What's your favorite piece to perform? Oh, <laughs> you're going to nail me with a big question. I, that's a big question, right? <laughs> well, I tell people, especially in the Army, since I'm a flute player and, of course, the piccolo, that I play lots of stars and stripes forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> and ever. But it never gets old, and I love it. it. You know, It's one of those things that's expected from a military band, and it's one of those huge rock star moments for a flute player where you stand at the front of the stage with the whole flute section and we play the, the Stars and Stripes piccolo solo. And it just really gets everyone uh, lots of energy and enjoy themselves. And I love it every single time. So that's one of my favorite things to get to do with the military. Now, there's tons of other classical repertoire and things that I play on the flute that are favorite pieces of mine, but I really do enjoy playing Stars and Stripes for all the military work that I do. That is a good one. So what, um, I think FEMA, you wanted to talk about uh, Troy's experience under Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That was that was on our list of questions. And, yeah. 
and I don't know how much that applies. Like, is are those experiences different across the different jobs, the different services, uh, or does everyone go through fairly similar experiences? So I think it will be good to explain what is done as don't tell for those um, that don't know what it is. Um, so. When, in the Clinton administration back in the 90s, I don't remember what. Early yeah, 90s. So early 90s. Yeah. Um, there was a, a, a rule set or something like that uh, called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which meant that LGB servicemen and servicewomen could not disclose their sexual orientation for fear of reprisal or discharge. So if someone in your military unit found out that you were gay, lesbian, bisexual, what have you, you could be discharged because of it. So it was a moment where you needed to basically stay in the closet in order to serve. And that affected a lot of our military personnel because of they needed to live this double life. And, and it affected a lot of, of their performance because of this silence and it also isolated them a lot. Um, so, Joy, I know you, you served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which was repealed in 2011, I believe. Um, do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about your experience during that period of time? Oh, yeah. And so, and also I want to say that I don't necessarily equate my experience as having been, like, really traumatic or the, you know, one of the worst things to go through compared to people who served their entire career under a policy like that because I spent um, just the very tail end of the policy was when I joined the military. So I joined in June of 2010. And so the policy was still in effect, but also I knew going into the military that the policy had, was already going to be changed because um, President Obama's uh, State of the Union address that happened just prior to that, um, there was specific mention of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell being in the administration's agenda. So, and I remember the moment when that happened because I, I signed up for the military not knowing that the policy would change. I knew what I was walking into, and I didn't know when or if the policy was going to change you know, within the time that I was serving. But then when the State of the Union address happened, I remember I was uh, on my couch watching, and when that happened, I fell off the couch. Like I, I really did fall off the couch <laughs> and hit the floor because there was an overwhelming feeling of, okay, the policy, I'll have to be under the policy for a little while, but everything's going to be okay. And uh, because what I, I kind of joke to people about is that, yes, it was a don't ask, don't tell policy, but with me, you kind of didn't have to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, as... Um, harmful as a policy as it was, the other, you know, just little glimmer of light that goes with it is that prior to Don't Ask, Don't Tell being um, a policy for enlistment and service in the military, there was absolutely zero protection for gay, lesbian, bisexual uh, soldiers and, and service people in the military. And this was probably the only, you know, as much as what was possible politically at the time. And so it was technically a step forward, even though it still didn't make it okay to be gay or bisexual or lesbian um, in the military. Like, you still couldn't have that information come out. So, yes, it still was a double life, but at least there was that little tiny bit of protection where as long as you didn't say anything, you were okay. But still, of course, that's, you know, that's a hugely damaging thing. 
And, uh, you know, for someone very, I'll just say it's obvious, like myself, and uh, going into, you know, the, the strict environment and uh, basic training and knowing that I had to keep to myself, I was also engaged to a man at the time. And so it was a matter of taking off the ring and not wearing it. Like, whoever has to take that off the engagement ring in order to, you know, save your job, you know? Right, <laughs> I yeah. forgot that that was uh, something that I had to do uh, when, I, when I went in there. You know, other people who were either married or engaged, like, you know, they got to talk about their partners and, and things, and I couldn't say those things. I couldn't do it. So, um, and in, in basic training, there was something really interesting that, that happened. Uh, one was that um, at one point, the captain of our, our company came out and said something, because there was, uh, I mean, this is also really unfortunate, and it still is, but there's, you know, people come in with lots of closed-minded views over a broad spectrum of things. So, you know, racism, bigotry, homophobia, people come with those things. And part of the, you know, the service process is learning to work with people that you differ from and also learning that your biases can get checked, even my own. So when the captain or the commander of our company went out and said, I don't care if you're black or white or gay or straight or this and that, like my ears went, ooh. <laughs> I, I had that, that Scooby-Doo moment where my ears perked up and my head turned and I went, ooh, I heard it. He said gay, and <laughs> so, and this, of course, was also still while the policy was in effect when I was in basic training in June of 2010, and, but after that point, there was, um, I'll say, a friend of mine where when you're, you just, they task you with, like, going around and, and cleaning things perpetually because they don't have anything better to do with us. We um, discovered through our conversations about, like, TV shows and things that we liked, we had that moment where we looked at each other and went, okay, we have an understanding, don't we? And, like, we figured out, okay, we know that each other is gay. And so that's kind of the way that we figured each other out in, in basic without saying anything or jeopardizing our careers. But um, for whatever reason, he was having a hard time in his company, and people were making fun of him and things like that. Um, and so I don't know why he decided to do this, but he was afraid that he was going to get outed by other people for whatever reason. And so he asked if he could, if I would be his battle buddy to go and talk to one of the drill sergeants about it. And I said, okay, sure, I'll go with you. So we go in there and he outed himself. And I was like, what, what are you do? Like I thought I couldn't say anything. Cause I'm like, what are you doing on the inside? What are you doing? And, but there was this miraculous drill sergeant sitting in front of us who said, well, I've got a lot of friends in the service who are gay and the policy's changing and everything. So, I mean, you know, we all just try to work together and everything and stuff. So then he looks over at me and says, well, soldier, what do you think about that? And then for whatever reason, I figured because my battle buddy put himself out on a limb, I might as well go out there with him. And I said, well, Joe Sergeant, I'm gay too. And <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, this was a hugely, hugely risky thing to do because right. there Were was you no so nervous? protection for us. Yeah. <laughs> There was no protection for us at all, except for someone being a genuinely good human being in front of us who was in, you know, in the position of power, this drill sergeant. And he didn't, you know, take any prosecutional uh, measures against us or anything. What he did was he talked to some other people in our companies, in our platoons, and asked, like, hey, can you watch out for each other? And that was really something special 
to witness happening where you could see the, the change in policy, not only that it was coming, but you could see it manifesting in the way people treated each other too. So that was something really special. Now to answer the other part of your question where is it different across different jobs in the military, I would say very much yes. And especially from my perspective as a musician, I mean, I'm a flute player. <laughs> First of all, so <laughs> already there's lots of jokes and things that go with it, and I've heard them all. And so, um, but in a field like the arts, the arts is, you know, for the most part, very inclusive. And when it's something that deals with human emotion and expression and everything, that kind of a, an occupation or a field, um, you know, lends itself for people being compassionate and understanding and being able to see a broad spectrum of different things and accepting all of them. So as a musician, I wasn't necessarily worried about things. And even when I arrived to my first unit, I could tell that everything was going to be fine there. And um, my, so like I said, my first unit was, I was stationed in South Korea, and I was engaged to a man at the time. I had him come over to visit, and I was able to introduce him to people that I trusted in the unit. I didn't say, this is my fiancé. I said, hey, everyone, this is and I told him his name and then didn't describe, you know, what his title was to me, even because, like, I still had to make sure that I was within policy, even though I had outed myself in basic training, too. But I made sure, you know, once I was official in the military that I still was, was careful about those types of things. So, um, but, yeah, in the music field, you kind of know who your people are. And even in my unit in South Korea, there was, um, you know, a, a couple other people who were also gay and, like, we could talk to each other and stuff. But... And everyone seems to, you know, have the understanding that you're just you're there to serve, you're there to do your job, be a great musician, and do what we're there to do. So anything outside of that really doesn't matter. Um, so and what was kind of cool with auditioning for the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps, which this was, I auditioned for them in July of uh, 2011 when I did that. I flew over from Seoul to Washington D.C. I did the audition. And I very distinctly remember in the interview portion of things that happens after that, uh, after all the playing and marching, they asked me, so, well, tell us about, you know, what are, you know, uh, your family situation and your plans of, you know, them coming here or what you want to build with that. And so I knew I couldn't say, well, my partner that I'm engaged to, um, again, I didn't have my ring on. I wasn't going to say I'm engaged to a guy and I, I, gave a you know political answer i said well i'm very interested very career focused right now and i'm very interested in the person who wants to um you know support those career choices of mine and that was the answer that i gave but uh what was awesome was i arrived at the fife and drum corps um from south korea to like start my new assignment basically three days after the change in policy so i kind of got to like bust the door and say hey <laughs> Such a, that, that was neat. Yeah, that's such yeah. a unique experience in terms of you got to see that change in minds and change in culture during the twilight years of, of this uh, order and seeing yeah. it repealed and having that opportunity to just burst the door open, like you said, and go, I am gay and this is my fiance and we're going to be awesome. <laughs> yes. Now, this <laughs> is tap off the fiance story he and i uh never ended up getting uh married that's a different story for a different <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> but um there's there were a lot of neat things that went in with that particular moment going from 
unit and, like we said, seeing the change in the people and the way people treat each other. Because, I mean, also through basic training, there was stuff where, and I totally understand a drill sergeant's role to be really rough and hard on people. And, you know, we're supposed to be molded into people that can follow orders and carry out our mission and stuff. But, I mean, there was one or more drill sergeants that was still running around calling people, you know, fags. And, I mean, just out of nowhere and for no good reason at all and stuff. And so, but then also they were, they would say things demeaning to the other women in, in the platoons too. Like it was, it was pretty bad and completely unnecessary. And at the end of the basic training cycle, they would usually select like, you know, three to five people from each platoon to go into a room with the battalion command sergeant major and you'd be able to give feedback about the basic training experience. A lot of times people go in there and like wrote the drill sergeant for like all the bad things they did. Mine was, and I was trying to define it in sort of like army terms and things so they had something solid to go on. But basically it was, I had to figure out a savvy way to call out the drill sergeant for calling, you know, me a fag and the names that they called me during basic training because they knew they could get away with it. They knew what they were calling me because again, I'm pretty obvious. And so I, I had to define it as sexual harassment from drill sergeants against possible homosexuals. And I said this out loud in the room, and everyone just went, oh. Yikes. <laughs> nice. Just, yeah. But the amazing thing was this battalion command sergeant major said, you know what, people like you, these times are changing, and you're going to be one of the people that helps change them. And I've never forgotten when, when he said that. And he wanted to know who the names of the people who were, you know, that were calling these demeaning names and stuff. And about it. So that. And then when I arrived at the Fife and Drum Corps, what was immediately my uh, first line leadership made it very clear in no uncertain terms they wanted to make sure that I felt comfortable and that like anything specifically I had with you know who I was engaged to at the time they wanted to make sure that was all included. And, you know, being able to wear my ring, even though it wasn't a wedding ring and stuff, like, they were all on top of this. And I was like, wow, they're just immediately jumping in. And this is days after the change in policy. They wanted to make sure that I was taken care of. And <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. So, I, th um, I think they also, I would guess they also want to feel comfortable themselves. And you were helping them adapt and feel comfortable with, with the changes. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, it's not like I was the first gay person to ever serve in the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps. Um, there was some people who had been there for well over a decade and, uh, you know, married to their, their same-sex partners, too, and some that had served in the organization and had gotten out before the policy ever changed and never had the opportunity to, you know, share openly with people. And then there was also, which anywhere you go, you're going to find the full spectrum of uh, people with their beliefs and political views, so <laughs> what was funny is someone told me there was this one guy that came up to me pretty early on in my time there, and he, he saw the ring on my finger. He's like, oh, so uh, when will your wife be coming here? And I said, well, my uh, partner, is his name is this, and he lives here, and you know maybe he'll be joining me at some point. And afterwards, one of the other guys that I was friends with, he says, you should have heard the record scratch when you said that. Those words have <laughs> never been uttered here in this building before. <laughs> and it turns out that this person who was, you know, just being genuinely friendly and welcoming to me, he was very, very uh, conservative in his political views and also very conservative in his religious beliefs. So um, getting sort of like course corrected in the middle of a conversation like that was not something that they were used to hearing 
with him. And I mean, I didn't realize that's what I had done at the time, but apparently that's what happened. So <laughs> that oh, was kind boy. of a neat thing too. <laughs> so now that now that you not you're not operating under that policy, now you have the opportunity to really make a difference. Like when you walked in the room, like, hey, now you can do stuff. <laughs> so yes. you did. And let's talk about that. What were some of the events and and uh, uh, parades and, and so on that, that you were able to participate in and, and help plan and, and the program? Let's talk about some of those things. Oh, sure. Um, not only is it like you know, just not operating, uh, operating under these uh, policies, it's sort of, it seems kind of weird to just go like, oh my gosh, I can just do my job and be myself and it's okay. And it, it's interesting to like kind of acknowledge that as not being a, you know, it's normal and it's not this luxury that is only afforded to certain kinds of people. So, I mean, that was the first part of it. Now, Did it feel like a weight lifted off your shoulders? Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. Because, I mean, you can, um, you can know what kind of humor that you can share with people. And uh, also, I mean, you can talk about people that you're dating or people that are special to you. And they can ask you about it, too, because, like you said, it's them getting comfortable fully embracing everyone for exactly who they are. It's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful thing, and everyone there was ready for it. I, that's another thing. So in the music field and stuff, and it's specifically, you know, a unit like the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps, everybody was there because they wanted to embrace everyone fully. That's what we do as, as musicians in a family. And so it was great to see that happening in real time and just, you know, amidst doing your regular job work that you signed up to do in the first place. So these um, specific events that I was able to be a part of, um, the first one was a panel discussion that happened in 2017 where each uh, installation has an equal opportunity officer. And so they will coordinate events for things like Black History Month, Women's History Month, um, uh, Asian Pacific Heritage Month, things like that. And then also June was observed as uh, Pride Month. So this is uh, June of 2017. And also remember that this is uh, okay, yeah, it, it, you know, pretty much shortly after the 2016 election and everything. So we had um, a panel discussion. And at the time, the, there was a reversal on the uh, limitations of transgender soldiers to serve openly in the military and to be able to enlist in the first place. That had been turned around and was being like actively implemented into all the services. Like we have people coming around to units describing this is how ID cards are going to work, this is how physical training tests are going to work, and you know all all this stuff and everything. So I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening. This is great. And so when we had this panel, um, I was uh, the the NCO that was in charge of putting together the event actually came to the Fife and Drum Corps to talk to specifically people like myself to say, hey, I wanted to ask you about things like music or what would you want to hear or like what kind of food would you want to have served there and stuff. And he openly admitted, he's like, you know, I don't really know any much about gay people or LGBTQIA and everything and stuff. And I said, well, that's really nice of you. And, you know, I, you know it's the right thing to do to come to the people and are a part of this community and ask them specifically what is on their mind. Because a lot of times it, these events get put together, you know, with good intentions, but they don't necessarily know how to follow through on it for the very community that it's trying to reach. So it was great. There was um, uh, Ashley Mack came from the 
Pentagon, I mean, two lieutenant colonels uh, serving over there. And uh, so she came over as a guest speaker. There was myself. And also I helped to bring in one of the religious leaders from my community at the Metropolitan Community Church of Washington, D.C., which became my second church home. And so um, she came through it, also a couple of chaplains. And I was the person that sat on the panel as well. And we got to, you know, share our experiences. And one thing I was really happy about with the minister from my church, Reverend Kathy Alexander, she, she is just wonderful. She came in there because what's interesting about chaplains in the military is that they are only obligated to follow the teachings of how they were brought up in their either denomination of the church or whichever um, faith that they're a part of. So if that includes views that are discriminatory or um, against things like homosexuality or whatever reason, those are the things that they are able to hold up when they're talking to people um, whenever someone comes to a chaplain for either, you know, speaking or whatever it is. So some of these chaplains on the panel, when they would get asked questions, they kind of had vague answers because there they are, you know, in support of the event, which is great, but if they can't say it outwardly, then are they really fully in support? Like, it's, it's right. great that you're here, but are you really following through? Really? <laughs> and God bless Reverend Kathy Alexander because she says, so if you don't feel like the people that you're going to are being supportive of you, you have a home with Metropolitan Community Church of D.C. Come on over. We have a place for you. And, I mean, it was a direct line of shade right at those chaplains that were on that <laughs> uh, panel. And I was, I was, you know, on the inside super happy about it. <laughs> and um, the other great thing was that I was really enthusiastic about celebrating the fact that transgender soldiers were being fully integrated into the military. Now, fast forward a couple of months, later that fall, uh, the administration at the time reversed that policy, and so transgender soldiers were no longer going to be protected and uh, readily enlisted into the military, and that was a big reversal of things, and it was uh, really, really very disheartening because, again, another uh, group of people is targeted and has to fear for their careers and being able to live their lives feeling normal and feeling accepted and just there to do the job that they signed up to raise their hand to do and stuff. So um, that was one event that I was very, very glad to be a part of. And the next one coming up was the 2018 Pride event, which I went to, I, I sought out the um, Equal Opportunity Officer this time myself and I said, hey, are you planning anything for June Pride Month? And then she goes, it was a different person this time, she says, Oh, I, I really didn't, I, I didn't know. We hadn't even looked at it yet. I said, oh, can I help plan it? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear and the joy in uh, your voice. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It was great. So uh, long story short, I had the idea about, like, trying to bring different musical groups to play music of the, you know, the community's cause and everything. And we were able to get uh, support from the Soldiers Chorus, or, I'm sorry, the, um, the, the Army Chorus from uh, Pershing Zone, which was at uh, Fort Myer. And we also, I was able to bring in the music director from, again, my church, Metropolitan Community Orchestra, I'm sorry, Metropolitan Community Church of Washington, D.C., who also happened to be a transgender woman. And I thought that was one of the best things to bring because it was in the face of this policy reversal that happened under the, the administration at that time. So, um, and then I came up with a script of things that I was going to read the transition between the moments and then also, um, 
Deidre, who was the singer, she came in and she was also able to speak because she's in health advocacy, especially for transgender people in the Washington, D.C. area, on top of her being uh, just a you know, wonderful singer and uh, giving up her time and talent through the church. So that was great, and it was a really good event. And even like the, the food that we got there, um, one of my flute students, um, while I was working with this you know, wonderful musician, figured out that his name wasn't uh, uh, Jamie, but was actually Jameson. And so, and it was so great to see um, his mother support that with him. And so the mother was part of a catering business. And so when we went to, because there's always food service at these events, I said, hey, why don't we have their catering service come in here because their own family has someone who is supportive of our community and stuff. So it was great to just have those kinds of little subtle details um, woven throughout the fabric of the event. Um, and I think probably the most touching moment that came from this particular event is because I let out a lot of, uh, I would say, passion-filled language in the remarks that I wrote, which had to be cleared by the Equal Opportunity Officer. Yeah. Things. But um, my commander at the time from the Fife and Drum Corps attended the event, which was also a really you know good show of faith by your own leadership showing up to something like that. And afterwards, he told me, because he was sort of towards um, the very end of his career in the band field, he said to me, he said, you know what? I've, I've, I've served during Don't Ask, Don't Tell and all sorts of these times and with you know these changes with transgender policy and things like that. And I kind of was just kind of sloughing it off. And I didn't really, you know, I'm a, a, a Baptist-raised person and stuff, and um, I, I thought I was just going to be able to slough it off and not really have to worry about it and everything. But he says, you really changed my mind about it. That's and, awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was it, was, it was so powerful for him to even share something like that, but then to have it be that his mind was changed. And so, and that's how we do these kinds of things. It's one person at a time, one connection at a time. And uh, that was really important. So, and, Troy, uh, that, you have... You, you have so much energy and passion for it. I would imagine that you have been building your network and community uh, so much over the past few years. So what might have started out as you and your friend going to talk to um, the, uh, the sergeant is now a huge network of people. And, and I, I have to imagine that that's in large part to your passion and your dedication. Um, how have you built your community? Well, one of the, I'm glad you asked about that because yeah, it, it, it's great when it's, you know, you and yourself and your community and everything and stuff, but when it branches out into other people, that's when it gets really important. And uh, one of the things that over the course of a couple of years uh, developed into a huge historical breakthrough, especially during my time at the Fife and Drum Corps, was having, of, you know, between random social situations and everything, I ran into the vice president of the Capitol Pride Council in Washington, D.C., who also happened to be a veteran from the Vietnam era in the Army. And so, and I said to him, I said, well, a military band has never marched in the Capitol Pride Parade, so why don't you have someone march? And this is also following in 2014 when they had the first Joint Forces Color Guard uh, March, which was, was a huge historic event to have all of the services represented in the, the a Capitol Pride event, or you know a Pride event for the very first time in history, in an official capacity, fully in uniform. And so it took about four years of them requesting, but the Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps did become the first 
single unit uh, military marching band to march in the Capitol Pride Parade in 2018. This was right in conjunction with that, that second Pride event that we had done. And I was a part of helping to make that happen because I would uh, you know, continue to talk with the Pride Council and say, yes, please keep requesting us and eventually this will happen. So it did and it was <laughs> literally filled with pride when we were out there. I mean, there we are in our colonial marching uniforms and stuff from the 1780s. I, I call it my, it's my favorite 80s look. The <laughs> <laughs> nice. There we are in, on the, the, the parade uh, route and stuff, surrounded by drag queens and people wearing rainbows and stuff. I mean, like, <laughs> it doesn't get much more strange and beautiful than that. It was, it was really great. So um, that's one way, like, through connections with the Capital Pride Council. And then also um, my main advocacy that I've had the connection with is through the Metropolitan Community Church of Washington, D.C. And I would say that the faith organizations in Washington, D.C. are very, very progressive about being, you know, inclusive the way that you would think that, you know, it just, you know, even with the message of Jesus Christ, where it's supposed to include everyone, um, they, it really embodies that, especially with inclusion of uh, our community. So many ways that I've had. And then continuing forward with uh, my career into the Army Field Band, um, when everything happened with the pandemic, and uh, our, our mission is normally to tour around the country and we travel places, um, when we had to you know, be just held at home here at Fort Meade, it was, oh, well, what are we going to do during June Pride Month and stuff? And so um, one of the of my other friends, uh, we she and I got together to put together the what we called the Pride Stream, making it a diverse set of uh, music and also reaching out to our different allies, uh, not only the people that are either gay or bisexual within our own unit, um, which there's, there's several of us, but also it was so great to see, like, the hands shooting up, like, hey, could I help you perform this? Oh, you need me to perform? Yes, let me do that. That'll be great. So it was great to see the allies come out of the woodwork, um, but, you know, really uh, willingly without even being asked. It was so great. Um, so that was incredible. Um, there's something else that I was forgetting here because I, I stepped <laughs> over. <laughs> but there's so much of it. Um, yeah, so the, the prize team is really awesome. Oh, I remember what it was. And it pertains to the the work that the Army Field Band does because we do travel everywhere. And you're like ambassadors, really. <laughs> you, you know what? You just nailed it on the head because part of our title was <laughs> we say from coast to coast, the musical ambassadors of the Army, the United States <laughs> Army Field Band. Yeah, that's that's actually in the title of how we introduce ourselves to consciousness. So you are you're exactly right. There was one particular time, and I believe this was we were going through Pittsburgh and this was only about two or three years ago. Um, actually two years ago it would have been. And I remember there was a high school group that attended and they loved the concert and I would go out and talk to people afterwards and stuff. And these kids were so enthusiastic about things. And I was like, yeah, so you all are in band and everything. So this is maybe, you know, maybe it's a career for you. And there was like one or two of the kids who were like, Oh, well, you know, I, I can't do that. And I said, Oh no, 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 really like, you know, as long as you meet the height and weight standards and the physical requirements and stuff, your talents, you guys would get, you know, right in there. And they said, oh, no, but, you know, I really, I can't. And I said, oh, well, why? And I just, I felt like I had to get my reality check because this young person was so aware of themselves and what's going on in the world that they realized that because they were 
either gender non-identifying or were someone who was in transition that they couldn't join the military. And I said, you know what, you're right. And I should have realized that. And I said to this person, I said, you know, there's things like, you know, policies and stuff and presidents and those things will change over time. But this mission is always going to be here and there's going to be a place for you because your time is coming. And I just, I, afterwards I had to cry about it because I, I felt like this, this kid so, so saw so clearly what was going on. And I'm so happy that now because of the change of policy about inclusion of transgender uh, people in the military, that kid, that kid now had that chance that I was talking about. I just wish it had been that opportunity when I was talking to them at that time. And um, it was great to, to feel like I can be comfortable being the face of that when we are going out there to be the ambassadors of what's going on in the military, who this mission is for, who we're fighting for, and who can be part of it. Um, that's a huge thing about building the network of people that we reach. And the, you know, the music field in the military is really one of the ones that is a huge microphone and bullhorn for that. And I'm really glad to be a part of it and have that opportunity to be that voice. Yeah, that's, that is so important. And you just highlighted the, the importance of having a diverse and inclusive workplace or um, military forces. Because if you allow folks to live authentically and serve authentically, you will have so such a better range of people in your unit or in your workforce. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Troy, you're advocating all year long, all year round, and you've been at it for, for quite some time. What does Pride Month in particular mean to you to have, like, a oh, dedicated so. month? Oh, yeah, it's, that's a really wonderful uh, question. And um, I imagine that this question is not something that is, uh, you know, just specific to <laughs> the LGBTQ community or having that Pride Month because in one respect, I know that we need it, and I know that when whenever I go to a, a Pride Festival, whether it's been in Oakland Park in Florida, around where I grew up, or whether it was in Tampa or St. Petersburg where I've lived, or if it's been in D.C. or if it's been in New York City, I know that when I have attended a Pride event, there is such a, a comfort and inspiration, and it feels like a different kind of pure oxygen has been breathed into not just my body, but like all the way through my soul, because it represents hope for the future. It represents all of this enthusiasm and love and the vibrancy of being, you know, a human being on this earth in all of our unique ways. And whenever these kinds of events happen, that's what it means for me. It's a time to celebrate that and also to get to take a clean perspective on what's the progress that's still needed. Who are the people that are fighting for these causes? What's still needed? What are we What are we fighting against? Who are we fighting for? Where have we been and where have we come to? And celebrating all of those things at once. So it, it essentially for, I think any of us, it's about celebrating who we are and living the, our best lives. Um, now with it being, you know, of course, concentrated in a month, there's the double-edged side of that sword where you go, oh, well, you know, everything gets thrown into June. What happens the rest of the year? About any of these months where eventually, hopefully, we get to a time where a month needs to be dedicated to celebrating these diverse aspects of, you know, American society because there's going to be so many different kinds that, you know, maybe it'll be like, oh, gosh, how do we celebrate everything? 
So that is the question. We should be celebrating everything, and we shouldn't have to, um, you know, designate a month. It should be just this is our society. This is who we are, and everyone can live freely and openly, and we can all get to know each other and figure out how we're going to live together. Um, and uh, one of the things that I said in the Pride stream that the Army Field Band put out last year uh, towards the, the end of, like, the 40-minute program was, um, you know, one day at some point in time, we won't have to come out anymore. Like, com coming out won't even be a thing. It won't be a question of, oh, you know, straight and proven gay or anything. It's going to be that we can just come as we are. Right. Because everyone will know that, you know, it's not determined. Or, like, you're just supposed to be yourself. And as a parent or someone who's nurturing someone coming up in the world, you can just be who you are and we celebrate that. And that goes back again to what we, we have with these pride festivals and things where it celebrates who we are. And eventually we won't have to come out anymore. We'll just come as we are. So that's, that's a great answer. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, so, so our listeners for this podcast, it's the uh, Naval Sea Systems Command Workforce. And uh, what, what would you want them to take away from Pride Month celebrations? Oh, let's see. For, if, if we're talking about like a military command, um, that's a really good question. I would say that for for leaders that are in a position to experience something like either this podcast or you know uh, experience part in supporting something like Pride Month, it's really I guess making an open acknowledgement of the the service people that you work with and that are under you, and making sure that they know they are supported in every aspect of their lives. So that they can do the job that we're here to do and also feel like we're fully protected and just like everyone else should be fully protected for exactly who we are because those are the things that are really at the heart of the issues when it comes to the military where you know we're gonna someone's gonna stick up for me when the jokes start flying my way someone's gonna stick up for me when someone wants to uh, pull pranks or maybe even physically harm or sexually harass with with words or actions and things that kind of stuff is what is really important and is where a lot of the progress is needed with um, leadership and command structure because culture is really what ultimately has to change um, for the military to get better where we treat everybody with dignity and respect. It's one thing to say that, but then to specifically back it up with open acknowledgement of your gay soldiers, open acknowledgement of your, your lesbian uh, seamen, um, open acknowledgement of your transgender airmen and women and non-identifying people. So um, having it specifically said out loud in front of everyone that you work with, I think is what I would want command structure to really take notice of and how important it is just to hear those words. The same way that I felt like when I arrived at the Fife and Drum Corps three days after the policy of Don't Ask, Don't Tell going down, them coming to me to tell me that I'm supported and me not having to ask for it. I think that's probably the most important thing for a command structure in the military to understand. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a wonderful message. Thank you. So if you are ever uh, playing in the Newport area, you have to let Vima and I know so we can come see you perform. Oh, of course. I, I would love to. And I, I hope that we will become usually the, the Army Field Band will kind of make it around the entire United States over the course of about two to three years. So I think there's a, a very good chance that we would be coming to your area. New England is one of the places that we 
we normally do hit. So I would very much look forward to, um, you know, branching out that network network of wonderful people. <laughs> that's what you do. That's that's like yeah. what you do best is is uh, expanding your network. Thank you, Troy, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Great perspectives. Um, thanks for being on our podcast. We really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck. I hope you have a very joyous and successful Pride Month, whatever celebrations you're planning this year. Well, thank you very much. It's a real privilege to be a part of this, and thank you for including me. Thank you, Goy. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Tangents. You can find this episode and the other Pride Month episodes on the Tangents Wiki and follow us on Fusion hashtag Tangents.